You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God is a God of restoration. God is a God who likes to see restoration happen. He loves to see you restored to Him through Jesus Christ. He loves to see all come into the restoration of fellowship with Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants to restore relationships. He wants to restore marriages. He wants to restore relationships between fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons and mothers and daughters. He wants to restore relationships between brothers and sisters of Christ. He wants to restore. He's a God of restoration. In our world, there are lots of broken relationships. Relationships between parents and children, husband and wife, brother and sister. And in today's message, Pastor Dave will remind you that God is a restorer. It's His will to restore broken relationships. So when your relationships seem broken, cry out to the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 16 as he begins his message, Six Guys. You are sure. Six guys, different in every way, but yet all in the hands of God, all being guided by God's hands. Remember the theme of 2 Samuel. When we started 2 Samuel months ago, the theme is restoration. The restoration of a nation to unity, the nation Israel. The restoration of King David after his sin with Bathsheba. Uriah, and the restoration of the throne of Israel back to David after Absalom's rebellion. So it's a book of restoration, and intertwined through all this, we see the power of God, and as he uses various people to accomplish his will, not only for the nation Israel, but to accomplish his will in the heart of David, whom he's now chastising whom he's now has on the flame, and he's kind of turning up the heat, trying to get rid of the dross in David's life. God is a God of restoration. God is a God who likes to see restoration happen. He loves to see you restored to him through Jesus Christ. He loves to see all come into the restoration of fellowship with him through the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants to restore relationships. He wants to restore marriages. He wants to restore relationships between fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons and mothers and daughters. He wants to restore relationships between brothers and sisters of Christ. He wants to restore. He's a God of restoration. And he wants so badly for us to dwell in unity. As Mark was teaching on Monday morning, he wants us to dwell with one mind, the mind of Christ, to be of one accord, to have a like-mindedness among us. He wants that. God is a God of restoration, and that's what he wants for us. That's what he wants for you, and that's what he wanted for David. The prophet Joel, speaking God's words, says that God wants to restore the years the locusts have eaten. 
The, the locusts have eaten many years in the lives of the Israelites, and he's eaten many years in our lives too. And if we take an honest look at our lives, each one of us individually, most of the times we can create an atmosphere of hopelessness and despair when we look at our life. We think there's no hope in us. There's no hope for us. We think we've blown it. And even if you're a Christian and been a Christian for a long time, when something happens, when you might slip or fall, you think that there's no hope because you blew it. But God is a God of restoration. God is a God of mercy and grace and long-suffering, abounding in love. We see people's lives destroyed by drugs. We see people's lives destroyed by alcohol, by lust. People spend years in self-pride. They become frustrated, and, and they started having a feeling of a wasted life. Yesterday is lost. It's gone forever. I can never recoup. I can never regain. But oh, oh, how beautiful is the work of God's restoration in the lives of those who put their faith in him, who put their trust in him, who put their hope in him. How glorious it is. And you've seen it. We've seen it right here. We've seen God restore things right here, restore relationship, restore people's lives. We've seen it, we've watched it, and we've seen the joy in someone's heart, the cleanness and the brightness of their eyes when they come back to knowing him, and the joy that is inexpressible in their hearts and, their, and they feel. And it's almost like they're a new person walking in, because they are. They've, they've, they've let the Lord do a wonderful work. They have a new spring in their step. We see their purpose and directions in their lives as they give glory to God for restoring them. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of restoration. Amen. Paul, writing to the Philippians, said that he began the work and he'll complete it. God began the work and it's his to complete. You might be far off from God tonight for whatever reason. I don't know why. You might be far away from God, but he's not through with you. He's not done. You may have given up on yourself, but he hasn't given up on you. He wants to bring you back to him. He wants to restore you and bring you back into a right relationship. And he's going to use others in your life to get that done. He's going to use many, many different people. And you'll be surprised at some of the people he uses. And that's all what we're studying tonight. So as we look into chapter 16, we see these six men. And the first one we have to speak at about is King David himself. King David is the first man that we want to speak about. The Lord's hand was upon him. The Lord had anointed him with the Holy Spirit. The Lord had anointed him king of Israel. He wanted him to restore the nation, to become one nation under God once again. But as God was restoring the nation Israel through the hands of David, something terrible happened. David fell. David sinned. He sinned with Bathsheba. He sinned and had her husband Uriah killed. He sinned greatly against God, and he knew it. And now God must discipline him. God must chasten him. And sadly, during this time of chastisement, the nation becomes split once again. The nation is once again at odds with each other because you have the camp of David and you have the camp of his son Absalom. The nation is once again split. God hates division when it comes to his people. He hates division when it comes to his people. God told David this was going to happen, didn't he? He told David in chapter 12 that your house, David, will be divided and the sword will never leave. The sword will never leave those in your household. Your house, David, is going to be divided. 
David's house was the nation of Israel too, wasn't it? And it was divided because of David's sin. Bless you. But God was in the process now of restoring David back to himself. And as he was restoring David back to himself, he was restoring Israel back together. Now, it's a process, and it's going to take a while, but God is at work mightily. God is at work mightily, wanting to bring the nation back together. God's plans never fail. God's plans, God's purpose never fails. You need to remind yourself of that. You need to remind yourself that God's plan for you will not fail. He will bring it forth to fruition because he's a good, good father. He's a loving father. And he wants nothing more than to bless you abundantly. He wants nothing more to give you that abundant life found only in Jesus Christ. So as we read and as we study, David's down on the run again. Back in 1 Samuel, he ran because King Saul wanted to kill him. He ran and he hid in caves and he made himself be mad for a while. He did all kinds of crazy things. But he was the official king of Israel. But he was running. And he was running from his own son Absalom, Absalom, who was in rebellion against his father. Absalom was a spoiled child, but he was angry. He was really angry. And he wanted to take the throne away from his father. And through all this time, David felt deserving of this persecution. He felt deserving of this persecution because of God's words to him after the sin of Bathsheba. You can read all about that in 2 Samuel 12. We studied it at length. And it was in this time of exile that David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned several psalms. And as you read through these exile psalms, you can't help but to see David's trust in the Lord and his conviction that no matter how disorderly, no matter how dysfunctional, and no matter how disturbed everything was in David's life, he knew that God was still enthroned. God was still on the throne. The Lord was still in his rightful place, high and lifted up and should be exalted. My question for you, saints, today is do you know that? Do you understand that, that the trial you're going through right now, our God has not left the throne. The throne is not vacated. But anyhow, in Isaiah 6, in Isaiah 6, King Uzziah died, a wonderful and powerful king. And the nation Israel was, oh, nobody's on the throne. What did Isaiah see? He saw the Lord sitting on the throne. The Lord is still, what is going on here? The Lord is still enthroned above. The Lord is still enthroned, even in your life. The Lord is enthroned. He's enthroned. But we need to believe it. We need to, by faith, accept the fact that he's on the throne. David knew this. And he also knew that no matter how he felt, no matter what the circumstances would be, no matter what the outcome of the circumstances would be, he knew that the Lord was going to keep his covenant with him. A covenant is a promise. David went into a covenant with the Lord. It's called the Davidic covenant. We are partakers of the Davidic covenant through Jesus Christ. You have entered into a covenant with him when you accepted his sacrifice on the cross. You entered into a covenant. God will complete that work. He will fulfill his promises. David knew that God was faithful. We need to remember that when we go through our trials. We need to remember that God is always faithful when we go through our trials. It's not always easy, folks. But this is where the rubber hits the road, man. 
This is where it gets hard. As we look at these exile psalms, there's Psalm 4. Many think that this was a song that they sang the first night away from Jerusalem. We talked about Psalm 3, and we know that it was a morning prayer after they left Jerusalem. And in Psalms 41 and 55, you see David pouring his heart out to the Lord, and the Lord hears his cry and answers him. And then you have Psalms 61, 62, and 63, where David has a troubled heart, and he seeks God's guidance and strength because of his troubled heart. And as you read through these psalms, and my challenge to you is go back and read Psalm 4, 3, 41, 55, 61, 2, and 3. Read those psalms, and you get the feeling of confidence that David had in the Lord, not in his own strength. David knew he didn't have confidence in his strength. David had confidence in the Lord. Only confidence that comes from how? Knowing him personally. Knowing him experientially, personally. David knew how a personal relationship. Isn't that what we're supposed to have? Are we supposed to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And then with a personal relationship with him, we have a personal relationship with God the Father, and he sends the Holy Spirit, and we have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Isn't that the way it's supposed to go? It's a personal relationship. What does that mean? That means it's individual for each one of us. Just like our relationships with others are individual. I'm encouraged when I read these psalms. And the next time you're troubled, you need to know how the Lord dealt with David and gave him assurance and strength. And the Lord will do the same to you in your time of trouble. He will give you comfort. He will give you strength. He will give you peace. He will give you hope. He will give you all those things. If you would but seek him and look to him for your help. Next guy, Absalom. Absalom is the second of these men. He's David's, David's angry son, and he's in rebellion against his father. He wants to depose his father as king. He wants to take the crown for himself. But we know Absalom as a murderer. He killed his own brother for raping their sister Tamar, and he sought revenge. And as we finish chapter 15... Absalom and his men come into Jerusalem. Now we're going to hold off a little bit. We'll speak of Absalom a little later in the text. So David gets to the top of Mount Olives. Same place the Lord went. And what does David do on the top of Mount Olives? He looks back at Jerusalem. He looks back at the tabernacle and he worships God. Holds his hands up and worships God. Oh, wow. David knew that worship was always important and he could worship the Lord even when the circumstances are bad. You know, when things are going well, we can stand here and, oh, praise God. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Every time things are going so great, things are going good. Praise God. That's easy, folks. Well, when the hard times come, and if they haven't come, they will. When the trouble comes, when time comes, then that's when it counts to praise the Lord. That's when it's really hard to praise the Lord. That's when you have to force yourself to praise the Lord. But I can guarantee, as you get into that praise mode, your heart will change. Your thoughts will change. Circumstances may not change, but your heart will be lifted up as you praise God, as you give Him glory and praise, and He inhabits that praise. This is what David did. David did this. In the midst of David's worship, God answers his prayers. 
And the first thing he does, he sends Hashai. And Hashai comes with a torn robe and a dirty head, which basically means he was in disgust, he was in despair, and he was in mourning. We'll also speak of Hashai later. David sends Hashai back to Jerusalem, and behold, on his way down the mountain, on David's ways down to the mountain, he runs into the third character, the third character of our story, a servant of Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Ziba. Let's read verses 1 to 4 and 16. I told you we'd get there. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, and who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are there for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, here all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. So here comes Ziba, the next guy. Now we know what David was. We know that Absalom was in rebellion, but Ziba, he's a liar. Ziba is a liar. But it's an answered prayer. God uses this man to come, and he's got all this stuff, all the stuff to help David and his gang with the physical needs. Now, the donkeys are important because a donkey was the main animal of a king in Israel. The main animal of the king was to ride a donkey. Does that ring a bell? Jesus coming into Jerusalem, what was he riding? A donkey. Right, is the main riding vehicle of the king. So he brings donkeys. Ziba was a loyal servant to King Saul, and Ziba had custodian of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Remember him? He was the one that when they were running out of the temple, the lady dropped him, he became lame. Remember that? All right. And David had mercy on Mephibosheth. David had mercy on this guy and really never wanted to do him every, any harm. And he really doesn't. But this guy comes in there and he let, makes David believe that Mephibosheth just wants to stay back because it's time for him to be king because they were going to reinstate Saul's kingdom. He was lying. He lied to the king and tried to discredit his master. His story continues in chapter 19 when we get there where it's going to be discredited. Ziba will get his comeuppance. David accepted the gifts, but he was a little weary. And my, my counsel here is simple. Beware the gift giver. <laughs> Beware the gift giver, because you never know if they have an ulterior motive for giving the gift. But you have the Holy Spirit, so you can discern by the Holy Spirit. So David supports this guy. He basically gives him everything that belonged to Mephibosheth. So David is doing something in unwise counsel. He had, he's weary, and he gave Ziba everything that right be, rightfully belonged to Mephibosheth. In Proverbs 18, 13, it says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. David didn't take it in too much. He didn't listen to it. He didn't he really kind of digest it. He had a better relationship with Mephibosheth than that. He should have known better, but... He let it happen. 
As leaders, we need to be constantly on guard lest we too make unwise decisions without full knowledge. You ever make a decision without the full knowledge? Then all of a sudden you have egg on your face or pancakes or whatever it is that they're throwing at that thing. Ziba was an example of someone who was wickedly used in a crisis, and he used this crisis for his own benefit. He told lies. And here you have Satan attacking David through deception. But the Lord still uses it to give David the nourishment he needs for his physical needs. It's incredible. The Lord uses everything. Nothing goes to waste with the Lord. No one or nothing goes to waste for the Lord. Now, the next individual we meet, he's a curious fellow. This guy's a curious guy. Let's read 5 through 14 and meet a man named Shammai. Now, when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people of the mighty men were on his right hand and his left. And Shammai said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. This was also a lie. David didn't have Saul and Jonathan killed. David didn't do that. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go off and take off his head. I love this guy. I just like this guy for some reason. I don't know. I just like him, right? But the king said, what have I to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more may this Benjamite let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shammai went along the hillside opposite him, cursed as he went, threw stones at him, kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. <laughs> so you got this guy coming out of nowhere, cussing him. All right, so my, my question is, now nah, I'm not going to say that. I was going to ask him, was he a truck driver or did he, was he a naval guy? I don't know. You heard he cusses like a sailor. Um, no offense to you, those in the Navy. Or he cusses like a truck driver. No offense to you. you know. I had a girl on my soccer team in Wildwood who was always cussing. And I used to tell her that. I used to say, you cuss like a truck driver. You cuss like a sailor. What's wrong with you? And in the yearbook, she wrote, to your little truck driving naval cusser. <laughs> so this guy comes out. He's the cursor. So we have these guys. We have the liar, now we have the cursor. And here we see Satan is attacking David through words and stones. Sticks and stones will break my bones. Anyhow, he's, he's cursing him, right? Shammai was loyal to Saul. And as David and the group walked by, he screamed at them and threw stones. There's, that's about all you can throw in Israel. There's no grass you can pick up. He couldn't throw clumps of grass. All he could do was throw rocks. You are a sure.
The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of King David as he's finally able to ascend the throne. Though he seemed to have achieved God's calling on his life, David's journey wasn't free of problems. David was still human, and he made mistakes that affected him and those he loved. But during the rest of his life, no matter where it took him, David remained a man after God's own heart. When confronted with his sin, David consistently turned back to his heavenly father, confessing and asking for forgiveness. David knew he wasn't perfect and that he needed the mercy only God could provide. Today, we hope you too remember that God's mercy is worth seeking. He's provided for you the grace you need to live free from your sin through the blood of Jesus. Jesus came to die on the cross in your place, taking the punishment your sins deserved. Would you like to know more about having your sins forgiven? Please visit our website then, assurehoperadio.com. Click on How to Be Saved to learn all about what Jesus has done for you and why you need His grace in your life. If you still have questions or would like us to pray with you, please don't hesitate to call us, 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We're so glad you tuned in today. You can hear more messages like this from Pastor Dave at our website as well. Just click on podcasts slash radio when you visit assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope.